0: I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so
1: sorry. Oh my God. I just thought I was funny.
0: <laughs> so I'm Stephen Gregory Smith <laughs> and I'm Matt Connor. Gather round the Looney Bin, everyone. What's it's time for
1: the Connor Conner Smith show. show. The Psycho version. Don't tell me a story. I'll tell you a story oh my god
0: <laughs> um we we watched Psycho last night uh and we we're also
1: joined by our producer wait can Ryan. we say that we watched it last night or is that giving away something it doesn't matter yeah we watched it last night <laughs> yeah we watched it but last you, night. you have to figure out what last night it was okay
0: that's our assignment we're gonna take a break and we will be right back
2: For generations, people in Fairfax, Virginia, have heard tales of the Bunny Man. Now, Bunny Man Brewing offers a tasty array of high-quality microbrews with a rotation of unique flavors. Come by to have a sample, and maybe even catch a glimpse of the legendary hopper. But bring a friend, because you don't ever want to drink alone. Check our hours and see what's on tap at bunnymanbrewing.com.
1: Okay, we're back. Um, We are back. And man, do we have a show for you.
0: (laughs) All right, so we watched Psycho, uh, the classic Alfred Hitchcock film, 1960,
1: with our producer, Ryan Dean Howbrook.
0: Hi, everybody. And uh, just in case you did not know, Ryan used to write a column for our college paper called?
3: Well, it was two names, Movies Rock and Movies Rule. Right. Right, yeah. Oh, did it change? It It was the 90s. Did it change or there was two different? I changed it, yeah. You didn't like rock? I think it was, I don't remember which came first, but I think that the uh, the use of the word changed while we were in college and I was writing it. I think rules came first. Movies Mm. rule because that kind of left the
0: vernacular of like, oh, you rule. That was like early 90s. Yeah, yeah. I think rock felt like... You rock. That's tougher.
1: Well, rock is also timeless.
0: It's so... It's so pretentious. Matthew's had a lot of caffeine, so this is going to be a really good
3: episode. Rude. Brought to you by Diet, Dr. Pepper, our DDP. But have you ever had someone serve you, uh, like a uh, uh, room temperature milk? Oh God, that's basically what he does, right? Office her. Oh, 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 oh! You're talking
0: about uh, Psycho, Norman Bates.
1: Yeah. I, I've had milk that's not cold. Yeah kind of like from the cow
2: Ooh,
1: it was warm or a goat yeah it tasted like the milk doesn't take real milk doesn't... Well, anyways that's another episode
0: all right so this film opens with a uh, Saul Bass did the opening credit animation um, and that is uh the world we start in we start with that and Bernard Herman's score um, and it kind of gets you into this duality. It keeps splitting names into two. It splits psycho into two. It does yep. it splits uh, Hitchcock into three. Um, but at any, he's just a little bigger. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I didn't catch that.
0: Um, this movie stars Anthony Perkins, Janet Lee, Vera Miles, John Gavin. Those are the main players. There's some others, but those were the main players. Um, really, a a kind of a quartet of a film. Uh, with just a few supporting roles. Um, We open in Phoenix, Arizona. uh, An uh, exterior shot of a hotel, motel. It's a hotel. It's a high rise. Yeah. Um, And we're kind of peering underneath the blinds. It says it is Friday, December the 11th at 2.43 p.m. I always thought that was just like a red herring, but it does kind of, this movie I noticed... I mean, I've I've watched this movie hundreds of times. It's a favorite, but this is the first time I noticed they're really trying to key you in into the time and day. And this movie takes place over a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I believe.
3: No, no, because uh, she says, Vera Miles says, uh, we talked to him last week.
0: Ah, oh, the,
3: okay. One of that later. Then
0: I changed my mind. Yeah.
3: This movie does a crappy job of telling you what time it is. I, I, think talk- it make, I think it's trying to make you feel like it's important. Right. And it it starts out important because it all that all happened that first half of the movie happened in what two days right or a day Friday like, Saturday twenty four hours because she sleeps gets back on the road gets to the hotel that other evening so it was probably Saturday night yeah yeah, yeah.
0: I guess that makes it all right <laughs> so um so we see that, that these characters uh, played by Janet Lee and John Gavin are uh he is paying alimony to a wife who's somewhere across the continent uh, so they they're, I wouldn't say they're having an affair but uh, she feels tawdry about their sexual relationship
3: and goes so far as to mention that she uh, has to turn her mother's picture around and then later on her mother has called her like uh, uh, Hitchcock's daughter in the office tells, tells her her mother called okay. and so she has a lot of mother issues as well which I did not really you know ever notice before her mother issues um so so we get the Janet Lee's wearing like a white
0: bra and a slip, i believe um which I think was a little shocking at the time um but uh we get the sense that there he needs money to pay the alimony uh they could be together, but you know it's not gonna be financially. They're in a money bind, um, and not really happy with the situation. She goes as far as to perhaps break off this uh, this whole affair in this meeting. Um, so uh, then we switch to her going to work. Um, so this was like an afternoon delight. Um, and she works at a bank. She says from the first thing, she has a headache. Um, Patricia Hitchcock plays the other uh, bank worker, uh, Patricia's, uh, Alfred's daughter. She's quite funny, actually, quite good in this little bit part. Um, And so we get the sense there's this guy who is trying to deposit $40,000 in cash, uh, which which so all we hear is wedding, wedding, wedding uh this is subliminally probably affecting janet's character because this guy uh first of all uh, patricia hitchcock was talking about teddy her husband and how they got married and all this stuff and then uh the the rich investor guy talks about my little girl's getting married
3: um that whole scene is so creepy anyway because he's basically alluding to the fact that she can be purchased yeah you green. can buy away unhappiness Yeah, yeah, and, and specifically her in that situation yeah,
0: yeah he almost propositions her to yep.
3: like a weekend in Las Vegas mm-hmm. um, now real quick Matt how did you feel having not seen the film all the way through seeing this part in the beginning going what the hell is going on
1: yeah it was crazy like I Steven said you want to watch psycho or do you want to watch Rosemary's baby or what? And I thought, well, let's talk about Psycho. I think we have a lot more things to talk about uh, than, other than just plot with Psycho because there's just so many different angles. And I guess I've only seen the bits and pieces of like the shower, the house, the mother, and different things. So when the movie started, I didn't t- let on because I was acting. But the movie started, I'm like, oh, my God, I have never, ever seen the beginning of this film. And we are in, like, Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, what's that got to do with the shower scene? Then we're at this, like, office where she's working and getting money. I'm like, oh, my God, that's the
3: woman from the shower scene. And right. And the setup is so uh, Hitchcockian. Anyway, you think this is going to be the story. This is going to be, you know, her stealing the money and, and, and going away. And this is what this is going to be about, kind of an innocent... Uh, thing and if we were all put in that situation, what we what would we do in that situation? And we and we uh, feel for her and we follow her and we want her to succeed. I think at a certain point.
0: Well, and the third wedding because I said wedding, wedding, wedding was Patricia Hitchcock goes over to Janet Lee's character and says he was flirting with you. He must have noticed my wedding ring. So she's been just hit left and right with wedding, wedding, wedding. You're supposed to get married you want to get married to uh John Gavin's character but you can't because this financial thing. So all of a sudden the bank uh I guess manager tells Janet Lee's character that he doesn't even want the the money in the vault over the weekend. He wants it taken straight to uh be deposited somewhere else. And so he she takes the $40,000.
3: And do you think she makes that decision right then? everything flashes in front of her eyes the the afternoon delight this this money right here and this guy that just said those horrible things to me uh i'm just gonna take his money
0: i think the decision happens in a scene that we do not see i think it Mm -hmm. happens between her leaving the office and getting home because the next time we see her she is in a black bra and a black slip
3: right and she was supposed to take that money directly Uh to deposit.
0: so why did she stop at home oh she's packing her bags yeah um, and there's the money on the bed. This, this, there's many money shots in this film where we just
3: keep track of where that money's going. Um, and, it, and it's not even, it's not even really a red herring. I mean, I guess it really is because it's really not about the money at all. Um,
0: so then she's driving out of town and she gets caught at a stoplight as. Her boss walks right across. She waves at him like that's the natural thing to do. And then he stops and looks at her for an instant, confused, because why is she headed out of town? And she was supposed to go home and go to bed. In that instant, that exchange, then you see it play over her face like, oh, shit, I've been caught. And then you
3: hear it. On her drive, like but everything.
0: that's like cue music. Instantly, the, the guilt and the fear. Mm-hmm. We hear Bernard Herrmann's score come in again.
3: Anxiety. Um, and then she thinks about every single aspect of what could be happening at this very moment because of that guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She She's driving, we hear the music, and all these thoughts are playing through her
0: head. Um, the next thing we know, she's pulling over to go to sleep and it's the next morning um and she's awoken by a cop who sees her car pulled over and knocks on her window and it's a terrifying exchange where the first thing she sees are these big uh sunglasses covered you know eyes of a police officer like right in her face and i'm sure her instinct is oh my god they found me and she goes to start her car she has this whole exchange with this cop who is a jerk and is
3: As as most cops are in Hitchcock films.
0: Yeah. And is just really rude to her. Um after you know, her license checks out, she drives away and he tails her for a little bit, and then he he veers off. Next thing she does is she goes to a used car lot, California Charlie. Um he says to her
3: played by John Anderson.
0: Yep. The first thing he says is, I don't want any trouble, Um, which puts her kind of.
3: uh, And this is where I question her motive as far as what she does next. Yeah. Would you continue to buy this brand new car? If this cop was watching you from across the street, because
0: we see the cop pull across the street. Like I
3: get her, I get why she chooses to do what she does. Because she's like, well, if I don't go ahead with this, then he's going to know that I. So I've come to do this, and now this is what I'm doing. I can't deviate from this plan because then it'll look even, you know, more suspicious.
0: She keeps getting caught in these little traps, these little spider webs. that she's able to break through, and she she does go uh, the second that she decides. So the car is $700, which made me just kind of laugh um, that you could buy a car for $700. I guess you still could, but it's just not going to get you probably to your next destination. Um, she pays in cash. She goes to the bathroom to take out the money, and that's there's a, a moment there, and she's in front of a bathroom mirror. And you see the reflection of herself where she's kind of deciding, okay, this is it. If I start to spend this money, there's no going back. So she makes a decision and she goes out there and the policeman is pulling into the lot. So basically she gives him the money. She is in a hurry to get in that car and get out of there before he can stop her, say anything to her. She's about to pull away when the guy, the mechanic who's checking out her old car, yells at her. She has left without her suitcase and her other things, which makes her look super sketchy. Um, And the cop gets out, and everyone's looking at her as she pulls away. Um, At this point, uh, I wrote, uh, and just just FYI, $40,000 in 1960, the equivalency is about $400,000 today. Which
3: is what they changed it to in the remake.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, Yeah, because the remake was 90s.
3: Was it nineties mm-hmm. two thousand somewhere I don't it's, know.
0: Uh, yeah um so all the men in this film are problematic towards her um Sam, although she loves him there's a little bit of a lascivious nature that kind of feels lusty more than lovey um so I won't say he's terrible to her, but the the relationship is problematic um her boss relationship with her is a little problematic, and there's you know. The air conditioning is is only in his office, which I found a little terrible. And, of course, he has a bottle in his office that uh, they don't know about. Um, the, the, uh, The Texan man is horrific to her, almost like trying to pay her to have sex. It's kind of insinuated. The cop is terrible to her. The used car salesman is terrible to her. And then she is driving in the rain to meet... The most terrible man of all uh, to come into her life. Uh, it is raining, and as she's driving and can barely see, she has the windshield wipers on, which are metallic slices through shower showering water on the, the right. windshield. Yeah, and-, and we've
3: all been driving in something like that too, where like you just could not see from how hard it's raining, so you have to pull over, kind of feeling, right?
0: Yeah, and there there's the Bates Motel light on the right and um she decides to pull in um there doesn't seem to be anyone there in the office so she beeps her horn and then norman comes running down with an umbrella in his hand right His no, trusty no, umbrella. he doesn't
3: have an umbrella yet because he, he goes he goes like i'll be back with my uh trusty, trusty umbrella, umbrella after he takes her to the room
0: so we meet norman bates um, the first thing he says to her, one of the first things he says to her is dirty night, which I thought was really a bizarre, I could say wet night, something like that, but a dirty night just kind of, I I never heard that line before. And it kind of made me go, Oh, is it
3: going to be, Yeah, but he is also without knowing that he's who he is. Like he's a nice guy. He's like the first nice guy. She kind of meets
0: seems like it. Yeah. Um, it is interesting that when he's picking a cabin for her, he goes to another cabin, changes his mind. You see his hand go to cabin uh-huh. one, which is right next to the office. Um, she then learns that she's only 15 minute or miles from Fairvale, which is where Sam is. Um, Sam is the John Gavin character. Do you know what
3: Sam's last name is?
0: Sam? No, I don't. What? Loomis. Sam Loomis. Loomis is a uh... name that pops up in... Um, John Halloween. Carpenter's Halloween. Um, that's interesting. He's probably picked it from that because um, that's a that's a unique name. Yeah. Uh, but she's fifteen miles from where she needs to be, and the rain
3: kind of stops a little bit after she's there. So it's like, God, if you would have just kind of, I'm sorry, I, I want to stop one second. You got Loomis in this. Mm-hmm. You got Loomis in Halloween, and you have Loomis in Scream. I'm just saying it's it's a it's a, a ongoing name in horror.
0: That That is chosen and yeah, passed on. Yeah, anyway. Um, so she is going to, she asks if there's a restaurant or something. There's a diner a little bit up the road. Um, but Norman offers to make sandwiches or something like that. Um, so she accepts. And we hear, well, first he wants her to come up to the house. We hear him go talk to his mother who berates him marion hears this um so he comes back with sandwiches and a well not even sandwiches oh my god i would have
3: been so angry he said sandwiches and it was like cheese butter and white bread
0: and a open pitcher of milk right um and he doesn't eat uh he says uh eating in an office is way too officious uh would you like to step into my parlor said the spider to the fly Uh, so she does and we're greeted by stuffed birds everywhere, uh, in flight, you know, with their wings out. Uh, there's also an interesting painting on the wall that is, uh, Susanna and the Elders by Willem van Meeres. Um, and it portrays a woman who's kind of naked, uh, being pursued by lecherous looking old men, which is a very interesting and purposed, um, painting i think i think it was chosen for a reason clearly um and this scene this parlor scene is is my favorite scene in the film it is a beautifully written dance uh of acting between
3: the two of them yeah i don't think the scene works either without the performers i think if you put someone else in here besides anthony perkins it doesn't work Mm -hmm. his performance sells that entire scene it sells the entire movie because i don't know if you get someone in there that you he be, he becomes a sympathetic character. He really does
0: because he starts talking about his mother and sometimes he wants to leave her and but he couldn't do that. Then Marion Crane, that's Janet Lee's character, I don't think I've mentioned that yet, um makes a mistake of saying, "Why don't you put her someplace?" Which at that moment we have like a flip in Norman's personality and it's the first time we kind of think, "Oh, uh, that's that there's something there beneath the surface there's also something else he does brilliantly where he's watching her eat she's only taken like a bite and he says you eat like a bird
1: mm-hmm.
0: well if you would see all these stuffed birds on the wall I don't know if I would like to hear that right and
3: then hear his taxidermy thing about I don't do uh, dogs and cats I just do birds flying things it's not as creepy because
0: birds are more passive anyway right but he says, you know, the phrase, eats like a bird, is really, and this is how he says it, a fa- 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 falsity. It's an interesting choice, this, like, he's struggling with the word well, I'm, falsity. I'm
3: feeling like he used to have a starter, right? Perhaps. And and then he'd gotten over it, and then when he's triggered in some way, that starts to come out, that, that old speech impediment. Mm-hmm. That's what I got from that. It, I think it's the only time in the film we see that, though. I th- I think in that scene he does it a, like a couple times. I oh he did it one time also during the uh interrogation by the PI oh, as well. Okay. Yeah. So
0: I didn't catch that. Um but uh so when he flips he says something like um put her someplace. Everyone always basically has such good intentions by saying something like that, but and he gets quite heated uh, about it and he he in the end says she just goes a little mad sometimes we all go a little mad sometimes and then he switches from angry to smiling and
3: says haven't you yeah i mean that smile is just creepy as hell Mm -hmm. and i also feel like there's a history there maybe he's been in one of those places when he was a kid yeah yeah so maybe you know so that's what's coming out is like oh no we're not you know i can't imagine my mother there
0: yeah he had a troubled youth we come to understand uh, later in the film um, so I think you're spot on there um, she said he says something like um, no or I can't remember if it's he who says it or she that we're all in our little private traps Um, I think he says he it says it yeah. and then she says sometimes I think we step into them deliberately mm-hmm. but in the course of this conversation she decides I think to return the money um, and this, and she slips up and says "Phoenix" to him, and that her la- she says, you know, Marion, Marion, right? And so he knows automatically. Wait a minute, that's not what she said.
1: I thought she said Crane, Crane, because I mentally said, didn't she sign it, Samuel? Samuel, that's right. Yeah,
0: yeah. So he knows something's up right away, and okay, we're getting there. Um. She goes into her room, and we see her doing some math, and I think she's trying to figure out, okay, how can I pay back the $700 that I've spent on this car? Um, Which I think is probably, even though that was probably a lot of money back then, doable. Like, she could maybe take out a loan or do something, figure out how to borrow it. Um, But we also see she's undressing uh, to take a shower, and we see Norman in his office remove the painting of Susanna and the elders. Um, and beneath it is a carved out place in the wall and a singular hole into cabin one, where we see light coming through, highlighting Norman's eye, watching her. Um, so all the red flags are, are apparent now. This
3: is really a,
0: not going to go well.
3: Yeah, and Hitchcock playing playing the audience so well with that shot of, mm-hmm. of the eye us as voyeurs him as a voyeur playing the audience so of, then with sex that just wasn't seen really in that way
0: so then two important things happen he covers the hole back up and he turns to look like look up at towards the house and almost like he's going to go have a discussion with mother and then we see marion back in her room and she's ripping up the figures uh, that she was doing and she throws them in the toilet and flushes the toilet and ladies and gentlemen we have the first shown flush toilet in film 1960
1: good on ya um, but that was easy to do because it wasn't about going to the bathroom exactly right exactly
0: right. so now we're
3: at the scene almost all of the paper is flushed
0: yeah some of it doesn't go down which I'm surprised it happens,
3: to, it happens. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Matthew. Um, nothing no i auditioned for okay. psycho once yeah at a, play- at a theater at a bathroom and i was doing that scene but it, 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 it just happened
0: so speaking of that scene we're to that scene the scene that the reason that alfred hitchcock wanted to do this film was because of this scene now just a little like problematic history of alfred hitchcock he left behind some incredible films but he was a toxic male um, who was very abusive to his leading ladies. Very
1: misogynistic. And this is documented. Oh, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not Oh yeah, starting a fight. I just, I, I, I don't really know that much about him. I did say last night after watching the film, for some reason I felt like I was very happy not to ever work with that man <laughs> because the film seemed like it was... Obsessive? Yeah, just heavy-handed. He, I mean, he was the other character in the movie. I mean, it was seen through. um, And I also said, I can't imagine the actors. I mean, it looked like to me, some of the shots had to have been like, no, 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 no. There's this beautiful shot that Ryan remembers where Anthony Mm -hmm. is standing, I guess, in some sort of moonlight or something, but it's it's eerie and one of the most beautiful pictures. Oh, right, right. right. And yeah, can yeah. you imagine trying to get that shot and being like, "Hey, can you move just a centimeter to the left?" But there's something weird. The movie is not in nighttime nor daytime, but almost a consistent twilight.
3: At a certain point, in right. the beginning, it's daylight. Right. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah. know, it's
1: almost like not. It's almost like that that eerie Las Vegas when you're in the middle of the night in the <laughs> casino <laughs> and it's still like, is that light?
0: Anyway, so the, <clears throat> the the scene itself, uh, and, and P.S. about Hitchcock being problematic. I mean, there are two films about this. One being Hitchcock, where Anthony um, Hopkins. Hopkins, and I got my Perkins and Hopkins uh, disjointed falsity falsity, uh, portrays him brilliantly. But there's, of course, another film which is about the making of the birds. Yep. The girl. That girl,
1: or it's the girl. The girl, Um is the name of the film. Yeah, and we about s- to the film the birds. Yeah, yeah. And, and we uh, see
0: Marty. we yeah. see him being horrific to, um, Tippi to to be Hedren and throwing birds at her, and like it's horrific real birds. Yeah, yeah, um, that were scratching her and cutting her. Um, and I think that that yeah that affected the rest of her career, making that um. So the shower scene. So this this film took three weeks to no, that, that that scene. No it, the 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 whole movie took three weeks, but one week oh, was gosh. the shower scene. Gosh. So a third of the time that was scheduled to shoot this film was just this, and this is seventy eight camera setups and fifty two cuts now on
3: the cheap eight hundred thousand dollars even then. It was not a lot of money. So like they're filming this on the cheap on a backlot at Universal or Paramount or wherever it was.
0: 78 camera setups, 52 cuts in 45 seconds. And it took one week to film. 45 seconds. The reason he did this film uh, takes up 45 seconds. Um, the same chocolate sauce that we, was used in Night of the Living Dead was used. Uh, Bosco chocolate sauce is your black and white blood go-to. Uh, in the 60s Um, the sound of that you hear of the knife penetrating the body is the sound of a knife going into a cassava melon don't know what that is I maybe they've gone out of style Uh, there were 26 takes alone of Janet Lee's eye where she was supposed to not blink or move her eye she does she still moves her eye a little she doesn't blink But that must have been the best out of 26 takes. And that must have been hell on earth to do. Um, Mm -hmm. So Janet Lee's body double was a...
1: Couldn't he have just
0: frozen? No, because the point was you could see dripping water, but her eye wasn't moving. Um, Oh. Janet Lee's body double was a Playboy bunny named um, Marley Renfro. Um, What did you need the double for? Well, probably the boob shot. There is a little blurry boob shot. It's a...
3: It's like it's a blurry boot. Well, I mean, if you were to freeze frame it, you could probably see something. And I think Janet Lee you can see a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah.
0: but um, it's
1: what is and probably also maybe a body double. So when you were filming it, it wasn't about not only what was being shot, but what was really being seen by. Maybe she was more comfortable just being naked in the shower or covered in the shower than maybe I don't know. I don't.
0: I'm sure she worked quite a bit because I'm sure that uh, Janet needed breaks. Um,
3: yeah, and it's definitely not a very you know bloody affair. It's very psychologically uh, it, done. Yeah, and it's very you know it's more symbolic than anything, and it's all technically a marvel. But watching it, you know, you you wonder this was the catalyst for you know everything that's come after, as far as you know the male gaze and and you Know carving G A Z E, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> not the male gaze,
3: <laughs> not G A Y S, right? I got you, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's also, yeah, because it's it's a very hard thing to watch in 1960. Now it's not so now you almost watch it for the artistic, like, Sure, sure. Uh, uh
0: marvel of this one 45 second sequence took a freaking week and hundreds of yeah anyway um there's nothing that has not already been said about this scene that can be said here the but drain
3: and yeah.
0: yeah the drain into the eye shot you know that the transitions are beautifully done um so she's dead we know that uh then we hear norman scream mother blood and run down and be very shocked uh to see marion dead there and he recoils and knocks over a picture of a bird on the floor which is kind of symbolic too
1: for the movie the birds
0: <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's a prequel to Just the kidding. birds um and then he immediately snaps into the dutiful son who must cover this up and we watch him clean
3: uh wrap up her body in the shower curtain and we keep seeing but i them. think in this moment the audience really changes because there were number we're number one shock that Marion crane has died we followed janet lee this whole way she was also an innocent criminal in some way you still don't know if you saw this the first time that he's the killer you don't know that so you're, he's trying to protect his mother so then we become sympathetic as an audience towards him and we're like yeah get all that cleaned up get the money get the money get everything get it out of there because he's protecting and then we are following him and now as an audience even though he's winds up being bad, we're still sympathizing with him. Oh, so Janet Lee gets us to this mark in the movie, and then he takes
0: over the driving scene. Everything. Yeah, it's yeah. a duet with with other players coming in. Um, and, and since this <clears throat> first, how long of the film? 53 um, minutes. This first 53 minutes is not only the best in the film, I agree. The rest of the film kind of totters downward afterwards, but um, it, it, long and short of it, he grabs the paper that has the money in it and throws it in with all her other stuff in the back of her car and pushes the car into like the La Brea tar pits that are in his backyard. The swamp. Yeah. I know, it looks like tar. It does, it's yeah. black as
1: tar. It was the leftover.
3: Well, and, then, sauce. and then, even in that moment, when were, that was the shot you were talking about, by the way, in the, in the swamp. The with the you're like that's really beautiful. Is that's when you saw that, uh, when the car stops and doesn't start to go down. We as an audience get were like, anxious. Go, you're like oh my god, go down, and go we down. turn into him, him. exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: totally. Where and then when it does go down, you're relieved with yeah. him,
3: with him, because yeah. you want him to get away with it somehow. And this is Hitchcock because he when he was interviewed by Truffaut, he says he's playing the audience. He's he's making this movie to make the audience feel a certain way. And that's art. I mean, it's pulpy, it's genre, but it's, he's, he's still playing with the audience in, I think, in an amazing way.
0: Yeah. But um, since the rest of the film is not as interesting, but we <laughs> will talk about it, yeah. I think this is a good time to take a break. We will be right back.
2: From award-winning journalist and author, Michael Lee Pope, The Ghosts of Alexandria, his spellbinding book tells of historical intrigue the brutal beginnings of a port city, romances that end in tragedy, restless spirits like the tomb of the female stranger who's said to haunt Gadsby's tavern and the three falling ghosts of the Carlisle house. Explore the supernatural journey of the ghosts of Alexandria available at arcadiapublishing.com. All right, we're back. Um,
0: Something I just brought up to Ryan that I, didn't really vocalize correctly. The reason we root for Anthony Perkins in that moment is that we don't know. I mean, we all kind of are in on what the secret is in Psycho at this point, culturally, as a zeitgeist, Zeitgeist, however you say that word. Um, But those audiences had no idea that the mother did not kill uh, Janet Leigh's character. So we we identify with him and he is protecting his mother we all probably would protect our mothers from anything and do the same thing so you do start to root for him and you don't know until the end um which is the interesting psychological thing that this this film does but anyway that's done and the next thing we're back at uh it's saturday at the hardware store and Sam is there. That's where he works. Um, and Vera Miles enters the picture.
3: As Lila, uh, Marion Crane's sister. Which uh, Vera Miles is an is a old Alfred Hitchcock <clears throat> actress. She was in The Wrong Man with mm-hmm. Henry Fonda. She was in his show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. She was also in Psycho 2 <clears throat> and 3. Right, right, right. And the voice of Mother was as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then
0: we have private detective Arbogast uh, enters. I, I don't know why some of these names are so interesting, like Arbogan. Are they from the book? I, maybe I,
3: don't know. I read the book.
0: Yeah, I got to read the book now. Um, this private detective enters and says, "Yes, let's all
3: talk about Marion,
0: and walks directly towards the camera until it's like he's going to walk into it, which is an interesting kind of pressure is coming from the outside, um, and they t- talk about you know. Does Sam know where she is? Is she there? Um, So Arbogast is going to go check things out. um, And he, of course, goes. And there's no one in the uh, office. And he goes up to the house, breaks an entering. He just walks on in. Walks up to the top of the stairs. This is
3: after he has called... uh, called. uh, What's her the sister's name, Lillian? Lila. Lila. After he calls Lila and says, you know the mother's here i'm going to try go try to talk to her so like you know that's their catalyst for coming out there later
0: and guys i just understood for the first time and i feel stupid that he stuffs birds and their last name is crane <laughs> <laughs> got to be on purpose
1: the guy who wrote the book that this is based on lived 40 miles from um where Ed Gaines right. Ed Gein. Ed yeah. murders took place. Yeah,
3: so supposedly this and uh, something else at the time was based on...
1: Well, Texas Chainsaw,
0: right? Yeah, right,
3: te- sorry, Texas Chainsaw, yeah, we're both...
0: I feel like everything was based off of Ed Gein, but it takes, like, the smallest kernel and...
3: Right, and Ed Gein was a was a, a gregarious sort of fellow. You know, people knew him in town, and uh, I'm sorry, it was a little bit more uh, hermit-like, I guess, in a way.
0: He keeps to himself. Yeah. Um, so, but then Arbogast goes back and is murdered. Uh, we see from a God's eye view, a figure, um, you know, looks like a lady's hair and a bun and a, like a house dress come out with a knife and stab him at the top of the stairs.
3: It's a really cool shot, you know, really well done for the time period. And I think it's just as shocking as the, the shower can kill because we track him as he falls
0: down the stairs uh, he lands, and his back must be broken when he lands because he arches upwards.
1: And there is one shot that looked like I don't know how they filmed
3: it that looked like he was falling, flying. Yeah, it was it's the it was the back projection behind it of the stairs, uh, was what gave you that <laughs> vertigo.
0: Ha <laughs> oh, um. So then, one of my favorite lines in the film, and it's just such a random line, but we're back at Sam and Lila it is saturday night they are waiting to hear back from Armagast and they're nothing they're just sitting there it's this beautifully uh done shot where we can tell it's kind of later at night and sam says sometimes saturday night has a lonely sound ever noticed that and what he could mean by that in so many ways is he's not always with marion his wife is gone I'm sure his Saturday nights are not what they used to be or what he would want them to be. And he's just voicing this thought out loud that she doesn't answer. Um, but I've always thought, God, if I, if we ever wrote like a musical of psycho, that would be a song. Um, and then, uh, where we are, um, Oh, I, we went through this, Vera Miles. Uh, oh, Vera Miles, P.S., she's still alive. She's 92 years old. Um, John Gavin uh, is familiar to uh, audiences from a bunch of things, but including uh, Imitation of Life, uh, Spartacus, and Thoroughly Modern Millie. Um, he's also a court Korean War vet. Uh, he was, fun fact, supposed to be James Bond. but sean Connery. Well, the producer didn't want him. They wanted Sean Connery instead. Wow. But he was set to play James Bond oh after George Lazenby. <clears throat> so, oh, okay.
3: Okay. So, okay.
0: Anyway, I think I'm getting that right. It could be wrong. Wasn't Sean the first. Yeah, he was the first. Yeah. Maybe yeah. they were going to do George Lazen. I don't know. There's, there's something to Google there, listeners, but <laughs> he was supposed to be a bond. Uh, he was a Republican and ended up being an ambassador, ambassador under Ronald Reagan later in his life, but we won't get into that. Um, so, so, Saturday night, uh, we're at the sheriff's house. Um, They've gone to the sheriff or deputy or whoever it is trying to figure out what's going on. Arbogast is gone. So uh, the sheriff, we'll just call him the sheriff, um, calls over to the Bates Motel and says, we've got worries here. He explains the situation and Norman assures them that, you know, the same stuff they already know, basically, that
3: Arbogast came, asked questions and left. Um, and then uh, the next morning, Sunday morning, they, uh, Lila and Sam meet uh, the sheriff at church and say, we really want to go over there. Well, I already went over there this morning, he says, and everything, everything seems fine and blah, 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 blah. And we also learn because
0: they keep mentioning the mother. And he says, Norman's mother uh, died 10 years ago. And they said, "But no, I saw this woman myself or whatever he says he saw her, and they say well if if who's that woman buried in woodlawn cemetery, greenlawn cemetery if not um so we've learned, okay, big plot twist. Norman's mother is supposedly dead um she killed herself and her husband with strychnine. That's the story we get um so we then see Norman having a conversation with his mother, we, we hear it where he says, we're going to have to hide you in the fruit cellar. Always the line that makes me laugh. She goes, Oh, think I'm fruity. Do you, um, (laughs) in context later, um, he says, we've had to do this before. And so then we see him carrying a body, a body, and we can't see any details of the body, but just carrying it downstairs. And we hear her saying, put me down, put me down. um, Then there comes a Sunday morning church thing, Sam and Lila, then after they talk to the sheriff, decide to go out to the Bates Motel themselves to check it out. They won't feel good until they do. Um, So they get there. There's a very tense cabin scene where John Gavin's character is just like ready to take Norman's head off from the get-go, is really kind of saying, you know, I don't have any bags. Okay. And he says, well, are not you going to charge me for this? we established this very tense, uh, situation. Um, and then after they check in, they decide to go do a little search. So they go into cabin one. Um, one of them noticed there's no shower curtain. So Norman has kind of fouled that up and forgot to replace that, but they find the scraps in the toilet that I well, guess on the side of the toilet. On the side of the toilet. Um, 40,000 <clears> that that say $40,000 that proves that she was there. And they are like, well, he didn't say she wasn't. So that doesn't really prove anything. Um, so then after they come out of the cabin, they're walking towards the house and the office door is open and Norman is waiting and saying, can I help you basically? So John goes in to talk to him as a li- diversion, a diversion. And Lila goes up to the house. Um, so she does a little house search, she scares herself when she sees herself in the mirror. We see Mrs. Bates's room, an indent on the bed of where I guess she slept. We see Norman's room, which is really disturbing. It's like a child's room. There's a record, and I meant to look this up, there's a record on there that's mm-hmm. called Eroica. And I always thought, is that erotica? No, it's not. It's Eroica. But what is Eroica? I don't think Madonna at? was alive. I know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know.
1: I think she was. She
0: was she alive. Bad. She was, was not putting out erotica. But look up uh, Eroica for me. It's a classical piece, E-R-O-I-Q-E? I
3: E-R-O-I-Q-U-E? No,
0: E-R-O-I-C-A. Maybe we can play a little of it. Um, so then there's a heated fight between Norman and Sam. And Norman quite easily grabs something and hits him over the head with it. Sam is knocked cold. Uh, and then Norman starts running up towards the house. Lila can see him running up, and she hides in the fruit cellar. This is a, a thing that no no, me- no, 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 no.
3: He comes into the house. She is on the steps down to the fruit cellar, looks down and sees something, and then walks down and screams bloody murder. We'll get there in one second. But one thing. Oh, did you
0: find it? What is Eroica that Norman Bates likes to listen to in his bedroom with toys?
1: Where do you think it's from, Ryan? Uh, is it a child's song? Um, no. What do you think,
0: Stephen? It's a classical piece, right? Strange? <laughs>
3: Who is it? It's
1: a symphony in E-flat ma- major by Beethoven. Interesting. But I wonder, listen to the Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, it says Eroica Ber- 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 Berliner Philharmonica. Is that a, a Berlin Philharmonic? It's the Berlin Philharmonic. Their mm. name is Eroica. I wonder
0: if this was done as some in-joke. I wonder if Bernard Herman picked it because of some of the string work that sounds yeah, very percussive. I don't know. Anyway, um, so then she goes back. This is a thing I have a pet peeve about. In, in horror movies, people enter doors and don't shut them behind them. Number one, you can clearly tell someone's gone in there, but two, like put as many doors between you and whoever's pursuing you and as possible. if you can. And lock them. Yeah. She does neither Pick of those. She opens the fruit cellar door and then there's another door she opens and leaves open that is in the canning room I'm guessing and she sees a woman the back of a woman uh, you know in a rocking chair or no a spinning chair like a some kind of chair that's on a there's a rocking chair I think but it, it spins it does spin yeah so who knows what kind of chair it is but it spins
1: heroica actually means um, it's the female version of hero in Italian okay that's interesting choice. Heroic.
0: Um, and she says Mrs. Bates. Mrs. Bates taps her on the shoulder. Turn, the chair starts to rotate. And we see a corpse skeleton in a wig. She screams. Made and,
1: by Leave it to Beaver. Hmm. Um, Jerry Mathers. So she screams. True story. What does that mean? Jerry Mathers from Leave it to Beaver made the corpse. Oh, really? Did he really? Yeah, and the car was borrowed from the Leave it to Beaver family um, lot. Oh, my God. It was their family car. <laughs> that's, that's funny. But he did, he he evidently kind of rang around with the Hitchcock crew while he was filming huh. um, or doing something else. But, oh, he, but he, I think, made uh, Mrs. Bates. And Mrs. Bates' skull was then sent to France after the film was made for, to a museum because he knew that if it stayed in America, it would be sold over and over and over again and not be really relished as art. Wow. Interesting. Now that's 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 some thought. <clears throat> yeah. So it's, it, I'll send it to Paris, but I'm not going to send it to New York because I know they're just going to resell it the rest of his life.
0: So we see the Mrs. Bates reveal. Lila throws her hand back, which knocks the light bulb, throwing light, kind of shaking all around the room. And at that moment, we see Norman come into the room in the wig and dress with a knife in a weird kind of smile. Um, And then Sam is in right after to save Lila from Norman, Um, and the wig falls off, the dress comes unbuttoned, and then we see one final reflection of uh, Mrs. Bates's skull and a wig while the light kind of goes around the room. Next thing we have is probably the most annoying scene in the film. It's the doctor explains it all for you, uh, the summation scene by the psychiatrist. I
3: would I would venture to say this is the worst scene in any Hitchcock film ever. And do you think it's because
1: they really wanted to make sure everyone understood the the choices of of
3: the. Cross dressing and uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that is. But isn't there a better way to do it? Even a scene with the psychiatrist and and Norman telling you <laughs> all of those things, as opposed to the psychiatrist telling the audience everything. That guy is also that actor is on eleven. Yeah, he's like in Harry Mason a, world. A completely
1: different movie. Yeah, what I was shocked about was I felt like every character leading up to the scene was psycho for the most part, had their own psycho version of themselves, whether it be uh, sexually charged, murderer, a thief, whatever. But when it got here, it kind of stopped for me. And I wanted the choice to be kind of like, oh, he's now arrested and he told like, the entire story to like some other inmate or uh, someone else who's gonna be locked up. And that's where the story comes from, but not just like a run of the mill. Everybody has duality. And yeah, that's what this but, film kind of... But I didn't see that
3: in this scene. No. I, I wanted to cut like a psycho puppet. Well, yeah. I mean, we get this whole movie that, like, lead, like sex leads into violence is basically what Hitchcock is saying, right? It's it's it, They're right there together. Oh. And we all have it underneath us subconsciously, whether or not we're consciously thinking about it. It's something that rules all of us in a way, especially in you know, the puritanical society that we've all been raised in. Right. And it's always, and it's playing with the audience and all of the things that we don't talk about and and think about and talk, you know, I don't know. It's an interesting thing to show an audience is themselves and not a very good light. Right. And I I will say that the doctor, uh,
0: there is one thing I'm glad of because the danger and the problematic nature of like, this is a, we have this, what feels like a backwoods police guy go, he's transvestite. Um, and the doctor does say, not exactly. Because, you know, He likes pantyhose! Yeah, it's not really about, and I'm glad that they explain this, this isn't about that, this isn't him becoming another person to try to assuage his guilt. He, we find out, killed his mother and his lover and then had to live with it. So he dug up the corpse of his mother and preserved it as best as he could. But then when that wasn't enough, when the body started to waste away, he gave half of his life, half of his being to the mother, like speaking for her, having conversations. So this isn't transsexuality, transvestitism. It has nothing to do with any of that. This is not a transphobic film. This is him becoming
3: what he is lacking and what he is is desperately missing. Do you think that Hitchcock... Uh, knew that anthony perkins was gay um and cast him for that secret if you were to watch the hitchcock film and
0: believe what the the interview scene
3: hopkins film yeah, Yeah, yeah
0: i would say yes but i don't know yeah i think that uh if you're a certain way in hollywood everybody kind of probably knew it in some way right
1: Yeah, you can't spend three weeks with anybody on on an artistic film set or a theater and not understand. Well, Perkins
0: never really discussed his sexuality. He did get married, uh, but he had a
1: kid
3: who's a filmmaker now.
0: But he also allegedly had a affair with Tab Hunter, that Tab speaks about in uh, a documentary about him. Tab Hunter Confidential. Confidential. Yeah. So
1: the show was all the movies, almost a little bit about dual or multiple personality kind of, and I
3: think. I, 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 yeah, totally. And I think it's him saying that about all of us mm-hmm. to a certain degree, mm-hmm. right? We all have a... And I think he was saying it about himself.
0: Yeah, there is the light half and then there is the shadow.
3: Because you know? I think sex was a very... Uh, something that kind of terrorized Hitchcock in real life. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And even... Murder to a certain degree, if you look at all of his, all of his films, and and violence, like all of that spoke to who he was, and he was just a human looking at the world and saw that everybody else was the same,
0: mm-hmm. right? And then we have the coda of the film, which is we see Norman wrapped uh, getting a blanket from a uh, police officer. We never see Norman speak as mother, we're like we're right off camera when we hear that. Thank you. Uh, that's clearly not him and then he's wrapped in a blanket it's a slow close-up of him where he's saying you know she i'm sorry this is no longer norman norman's gone completely the mother is all that's left and she says it's you know so terrible to have to speak the words that condemn your son and all this stuff but it ends with a fly landing on her hand and uh she says I'm not even gonna swat that fly just in case uh, they're watching in case they do suspect me uh, they'll they'll see and they'll know and they'll say why she's so harmless she wouldn't even hurt a fly there's a great transition shot where for a moment the skull of mother is transparently seen through Norman's face and then we're at and then the, and then we're pulling the car the up area. from the swamp um, so I guess they'll get their their part of their forty thousand dollars left. Yeah, right. If they ever figure out. And that a nice out. car. Well, I don't know how nice. Yeah, the car I mean the
3: Beavers be. got their car back.
0: Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But that um that psycho.
3: I Sorry, mean the Cleavers, not the Beavers. This is I would say this
0: is in
2: Wait, my, to
1: Cleaver. <laughs> I would say this is in my top ten favorite films. Okay, so did your top ten film, this one, win the Oscar? I don't know any of the Oscar status. On this of film. Psycho? I don't think It so. was nominated it was criti- four it was,
3: times. It was critically panned. Yeah. People did not like it, but it made a lot of money. He was coming off of North by Northwest and made a lot of freaking money, even though he mortgaged his house, bought all the, of the Psycho books. Of Robert Block's book. Yeah, of Robert Block's book. Um, and something that I did not realize, and I guess I should have known, was that, you know, prior to this film, in the, you know, 50s uh people would come in and out of movies they would come in halfway through and then they would just stay through till the next it started again and watch the beginning of it well for this film you could not do you, that you couldn't do that he, he made the the theaters not do that and that is why we have ticket lines where we're giving the ticket to the person at the at door. the theater at the at the door so you got your ticket then you went inside then you showed your ticket the ticket line is because of this movie he made the audiences stay throughout the thing and he played because he knew that you could not get the reaction that he wanted by coming halfway through and was blockbuster the term started because of this film I don't know if I don't know that all I know is that the ticket line started because of him
0: yeah I mean and those lines did Mm -hmm. go around the block which is a
3: blockbuster Jaws
0: I don't know because this was a I mean is that where a blockbuster is
1: A block that has lines on it for for whatever occasion. (laughs) Why don't you look that up? Um,
3: What am I, the the library? I I will say this is is probably my top five Hitchcock, but it is definitely not my top Hitchcock. I will say that for
0: whatever reason, the iconic iconic nature of the house, the poster, whatever, I have as much memorabilia about this film as I do Night of the Living Dead. Mm -hmm. Um, So for that reason alone, I'd say it's in my top five. Um, but it, it's, again, I don't think my favorite Hitchcock, um, yeah. I can't decide what my favorite Hitchcock is. I don't, maybe it's this, but I, I, I think that the, there are others I like that are better. Right.
3: Um, I think this is technically a Marvel it's, <clears throat> for, for the time period for choosing to, uh, to shoot in black and white coming off of shooting in color. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. And again, I don't know the eyes without a face. I. I, I don't know if he saw that, if he was influenced by that in any way. Um, 'Cause that was shot in black and, and white. Why would that influence him? What happened in Eyes Without a Face that would influence Just him? Just shooting in black and white yeah. and and the uh being an audience member, uh watching some a horrible somebody horrible do something mm-hmm. and, and, and feeling sympathy for them. So this is sixty. The films are basically
0: in color at this point, except for like cheaper ones or whatever. Right,
3: right, right. Yeah. Well, but, uh, yeah.
0: When we get to nineteen sixty eight, of course. Not a living dead. Still black and white. Black
1: and white. So years later. The blockbuster is a work uh, of entertainment typically used to describe a feature film, but also other media that is highly popular and financially successful. The term has also come to refer to any large budget production intended for a blockbuster status. Aimed at mass markets with associated merchandising, sometimes on a scale that meant the financial fortunes of a film studio or distributor could depend on. The term began... In the 1940s, referring Ah. to aerial bombs capable of destroying and blowing up an entire block of buildings. Wow. Wow. And it was first known, its first use was a military uh, film called 1943 called At the the Arc, described the RKO film. Now, RKO was a place, Mm -hmm. or or was it a chain? RKO is a production company okay rko film bombardier our bombardier our bombardier as the blockbuster of all action thrill service shows another trade advertisement in 1944 boasted that the war documentary hits the heart like a ton a two-ton blockbuster interesting so that's kind of where
3: it came from military
1: um, well i'm
0: glad that we took that term away from Blowing up blocks,
3: but isn't that where we take everything from? Is either military, know, military violence, violence yeah, some guns. <clears throat> um, yeah, it is. Well,
0: guys, this has been a great uh, psycho discussion. Um, is there any final
1: thoughts, Matt? Um, I, I would suggest if you want to watch the film to watch it with the eye of um, it being a really fantastic example of. Um, Hitchcock's way of filming and directing and um, I don't know if there's any actors in it that I didn't really like. And this was your first time seeing it. I didn't know his daughter was in the film. I didn't know he had a daughter. Um, I don't think we're Facebook <laughs> friends but it, was she a, in, in a lot of his films? I don't know. I don't know. Um, was she an actress in other films? I didn't know it was his daughter
0: until was, this view Oh, was
1: it sort of like hey Peggy, what's your name? Patricia. Patricia. Uh, oh, hey, Patty, we ain't got nobody today. Can you play the secretary?
0: <laughs> I mean, there's it, there's a very limited amount of people in this film. Ryan, uh, final thoughts?
3: Yeah, uh, I think it's, like I said, technically amazing. Um, uh, it's a great film. Uh, it's it's a classic for a reason, um, but I don't think it works without Anthony Perkins' performance. Mm-hmm. No matter if it's a Hitchcock film or not. And Janet Leigh, too. Yeah, but, but Perkins, definitely.
1: I wonder what, it would, wonder what it, would, it would seem like to watch it without the score.
0: Oh, it's not. I think that score is everything to that. Is film it like Is well. it like Star Wars? Yeah, I mean, a, a, another just tidbit I'll add at the end here. Uh, so Janet Leigh's daughter is... Uh, yes, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. And she is just uh, opening Halloween Kills recently... She recently, uh, at the premiere, dressed as her mother, as Marion Crane. She wore a powder blue replica dress, uh, a wig, and as a shawl, she carried a bloody shower curtain. Very amazing tribute to her mother. They did appear in a movie together, John Carpenter's The Fog. Um, Yeah. Wait, you said powder blue. What's that from? It's a powder blue dress. We don't know that because it's in black and white, but someone mentions a powder blue dress. In the script. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't even catch that. Mm-hmm.
1: It's so, interesting.
0: So that's a wonderful little tribute to her mother. I mean, it's interesting because her mother was in this mega hit classic, and then her daughter went on to be in, you know, she is like the screen queen of all time um,
3: with Halloween and then all. Uh, there was the terror train, there was prom night, there, you know, the fog. Yeah. And, and hold, now this second. <clears throat> Halloween again. Well, but well, not just that she did Halloween H two O. she came back for that one. And the next one after that, Halloween resurrection. resurrection. Yeah.
0: And now this trilogy at the end, the Halloween, Halloween kills and next Halloween ends. Um, but she also did the Ryan Murphy TV show, scream Queens, which oh. is funny. Um, Cause she's like the principal <laughs> of the high school. Did you just burp? No,
1: <laughs> it happens oh my it god it happens it was the first burp on the podcast no it was so it was so weird i think i got so emotional thinking about jamie i yeah
0: anyway um that's all we've got for tonight uh, <laughs> uh let me let me take a quick pause before we go into station identification please hold
2: from dathan Hourback, back author of pen pal comes the chilling horror novel bad man Booklist raves It's Magnificent, The Shining set in a grocery store. The Washington Post calls it atmospheric and unsettling, takes on an aura of almost gothic menace. And USA Today says it's wickedly effective and saves its darkest deeds for an unnerving end. Bad Man by Dathan Auerbach, available at 1000vultures.com.
0: so uh thanks for listening to the psycho episode um really felt psycho at times um but we had a great time if you want to learn more about us please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com that's connor with an er find us on facebook under connor and smith again connor with an er please rate review subscribe to this podcast really helps us out a lot um thank you to carolyn cole for posting a photo of you wearing you and your husband mike wearing our merchandise hoodies all the way up in boston yes. we love it. um we'll put the merch link in the description as well and
1: who in boston doesn't enjoy a good hoodie
0: right you need one um and as we always say in season two never, never stop, stop questioning. questioning bye everybody bye. <laughs>